Welcome to the Plan Simple Meals podcast. I am your host, Mia Moran. Moms have the power to change the future, one meal at a time. The Plan Simple Meals podcast is for busy moms who want to create a healthier, happier home. Listen in for informative conversations and valuable strategies to make meals healthy, meaningful, and fun. Let's do this. Hello, busy mamas. Welcome to this episode of the Plan Simple Meals podcast. Today on the show, I have R.B. Fast, who is a leadership coach who specializes in education leadership, an urban homesteader, and a mom to a 10-year-old girl named Mia, which is so exciting. (laughs) Welcome, (laughs) R.B. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Good. Well, I'm hoping enough people, well, we're excited to have you, and I'm hoping enough people name their kids Mia that someday I can go to a toy store and buy a pencil that says Mia. Do you think I can do that yet? Because that was like my childhood trauma. (laughs) There are some (laughs) Mia things out there, but it's definitely hit or miss is what we have discovered. All right. Because when I was little, I like wanted to just be Maria because that seemed close and there was a lot with Maria on it. Yeah, there were no RB ornaments. <laughs> My brother's name is Feral. There were no Feral ornaments. Yeah, either. yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what that is to want to be like everybody else. But anyway, I had that. So where should we start? Like, let's let's jump into the urban homesteader part. I don't know why that part of your bio got me so intrigued. Although I definitely want to get into some of the Montessori part too. What does that mean to be an urban homesteader? So urban homesteading is essentially the idea of uh, city dwellers like me. I live in Denver, a very large metropolitan city, and I live in the city proper. Um, But we homestead like our ancestors on the plains did as well. So um, we have a little 1950s ranch house built after the war, when all the expansion of American cities went on, and we've slowly been converting our pretty grass yard into raised vegetable beds and tearing out useless trees and replacing them with fruit trees, um, installing a beehive and a chicken coop, and um, homesteading the way homesteaders did, but obviously with the convenience and accoutrements of being a city dweller with everything we can access there, but trying to still, even though we could get everything we want, all the fruits from Chile all winter long, if we want, we try and preserve fruits um, that are harvested here locally in Colorado and freeze them and can them to eat throughout the winter. And we spend a lot of time in the summer growing food and then going to area farms and ranches to source food that we preserve to eat throughout the winter. Oh my God. I love that. That's amazing. So how long is your, I wonder if your growing season is longer than our growing season. When do you grow there? So, um, we start our seedlings. We started them this past weekend near the end of February. We have shelving set up. Um, we, (laughs) our family room gets overtaken by soil and, um, solo cups full of dirt and seeds. Um, but we set up shelves with lights that are on timers and we start our seedlings in February. Um, in Colorado, uh, our part of Colorado, we're at the base of the mountains. So we're fairly high above sea level, but not like in the mountains. Um, we can, uh, we can usually plant, um, mother's day or a little later. May 10th is generally 
a safe cutoff. Although some people even like to wait till the 13th to be sure there won't be snow because there very well could be. Um, so around early May is when you can plant outside. And then it depends. Sometimes we'll get a f early freeze in September, but usually our garden, um, if we do, if we tarp a couple times in the fall on cooler nights, we can keep our tomatoes going through the end of October. Ooh, that's so cool. Yeah. All right. So I have so many follow-up questions on that, and I didn't even know this is where our conversation was going to go. So that's very exciting. <laughs> but okay, so two questions. So I have a garden. Um, I love it. I like, I actually, it was never my, I never understood about gardening. I never, whatever, but one year I, I wanted more kale than, um, you know, I wanted to buy. So I just started to grow it and found it was very hardy. And so that was sort of like my, my, you know, getting into a little bit of farming. And I love every second of it. I do find that it's like a practice to harvest and like actually use everything, which was kind of surprising to me. Um, just because like I do so much with food, but I found like it really like you have to, you know, be there regularly. And I, I don't know. I don't know why that caught me by surprise, but you are such a busy woman. So tell us like how that, how do you fit all that in? Like you do so many things, <laughs> including being a mama, you do so many things in your work life. So how do you, how do you make that a priority and make time for it? Well, um, I think there's a couple things. There's the more practical side of it, which is just that, um, you know, I work from home. Mm -hmm. My office is in a corner bedroom. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, I'm here and I can take a break and pop outside and, you know, pull a few weeds and actually, um, you know, I enjoy doing that. So yeah. it's easy for me to go out to the garden when I'm taking a break from my work. Um, so just the proximity, I think, is part of what helps make that possible for me. Um, but I think probably deeper than that is the more spiritual side of it for yeah. me. Um, there is, you know, the DIY ethos is more than just an idea in our house. It's it's almost like a spiritual practice, um, mm. the way we take responsibility for ourselves and do as much as we can for ourselves and um, do our part to contribute to the broader ecosystem and to not just be takers. Um, it's, it's, it's like a deeper ethical, spiritual kind of drive I have to do that. And... Um, I love it. I like to weed my garden. When I'm that. weeding my garden, I get into this. There's the, it's like a Zen space, a meditative space and the smell, you know, every time you pull a weed, the smell of the deeper soil rises from the ground and that aroma, it, it's like so wholesome and so calming to me. And, um, you know, so pulling a weed, there's this reward of this, this smell and this sensation and this connection. And, um, I don't know. So I think maybe part of it is you have to be the kind of person who really gets a spiritual benefit from it. Cause it's very easy to plant a garden and feel satisfied by what you grew, but kind of let a lot of it go to waste. It's a really yeah. common problem with gardens. Yeah. It's interesting. And, um, it's funny, the, the dirt part I very easily slid into, like I just, like, and which I had never felt before I started a garden of just, you know, going out, you know, usually in flip flops for me. So it's like, you feel the dirt. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. 
like that was so connecting and connecting to the food and uh, there's just nothing like your own lettuce right like I everyone asks why how all my kids like salad and I'm like well because they picked the lettuce at some point and then they just loved it and um, that that is very true um and I think that probably is another thing that drives me is I grew up with a garden. I grew up with chickens. I grew up with that and I loved it and I wanted that for my daughter. And so I'm motivated to keep it going and to mm. model that behavior because I want her to also love vegetables and know about food. And, you know, she really, she just came home this week and she said, mom, I tried one of those baby carrots in one of my friend's lunches. They're disgusting. They just taste like kind of sweet water. They don't even taste like soil or they don't taste spicy. And they don't, she was describing all these complex flavors of the carrots that we grow in our soil, in our garden. And, um, and we keep carrots in the ground all winter and cover them with a tarp and we harvest fresh carrots all winter long. Ooh. And she just, she was horrified by baby carrots, which she'd never apparently had before <laughs> well I have to admit baby carrots are sort of horrifying I think they go through some sort of chemical process to get to that rounded state or something they're I don't... they're really weird they're yeah really weird. <laughs> I find them to be pretty bland and strange as well um, but, but I, I digress yeah but I I love that I I that's just it's amazing and I love that you ha had that experience and that you're giving that to her and that our kids can taste these amazing like flavors and I really that the what resonates with me now that might not have resonated me with me even when I started my garden was just that bigger message that it's sending or helping just our planet in general by taking on some of this ourselves um and I think that that's really important and that was kind of like my husband's addition to our table that I just you know simply didn't understand as well before and just the idea of not wasting and not needing to buy things from Argentina all the time and all that kind of good stuff. So that really, yeah. that really resonates. I hope it resonates with some of the listeners too. And it's so for the earth and it's also good for the local economy. Yeah. Um, you know, I really love, I grew up in, you know, a rural part of Colorado where agriculture was what paid the bills in most of my friends mm. and family's households and, so supporting the ranchers and the fruit growers of my region also, you know, that I know that money is going right to the pockets of those farmers and ranchers and getting circulated directly back into our community. Um, that feels good. And I know economically it makes a lot of sense too. Yeah. So one of the things that I started doing a couple of years ago that really made a big difference was really like putting in my calendar those moments where we like, so we'll do things like drive two hours to a farm to pick strawberries. So we have like, so we can get all the strawberries when they're in season or same with tomatoes. Cause I freeze tomatoes for the whole year. So like it's just supplementing the stuff that we grow. Sure. Cause it doesn't sound like I've quite homesteaded quite as much as you, but I definitely utilize the local agriculture a lot in the summer. And so as we come into spring, I feel like that's such a good thing for us all to think about is like what we can get in the summer season while it really is in season where we live. Uh, so I guess if you live in Florida, probably the season's earlier than uh, us a little bit more north. <laughs> um, right. But but so what do you what do you think about in that? Like, tell us some of the things that you preserve and how you preserve them so that it lasts through the winter. 
So um, one of the big things that we have as a family tradition is um, there's a farm that's about 30 miles north of Denver, and um, they aren't a certified organic farm, but they don't use any chemicals or pesticides, mm-hmm. um, which for us, that's good enough. Yeah. Um, and they, they're one of the, they're at all the farmer's markets. They're a big supplier in the area and they have a very diverse, uh, group of crops. They grow a whole lot of different kinds of food. And every year after Labor Day through, um, the beginning of November, Mm -hmm. they have what they call a harvest festival where you can go and you pay $15 a person and they take you out on essentially on hay rides, like these big trailers with hay bales in them pulled by tractors and they pull up and they say, all right, here's the potato and onion field. And you get out and you pick all the potatoes and onions you want. And then you pile back in and they take you to the field where all the tomatoes and melons are. And you pick all the tomatoes and melons you want. And then they drive you to the field where all the corn is and all the basil is. And you pick all the corn and basil you want and you just fill your bags with all of this food and take it home and preserve it. Um, so we, we do that every year and, um, they say up to five big reusable grocery bags per person. So we get five huge or 15 huge reusable grocery bags. Right. We pay $45 oh and my God. it is a stupid amount of food. Yeah. Um, and so we put it in our calendar and we know, you know, Miller farms weekend is going to come. And sometimes we invite friends to come and check it out with us. But then we come home and we have a whole system where we've got these big red basins and we fill them with water and we dump a bunch of vegetables into them. And um, my husband fires up the grill and we start grilling peppers and roasting peppers that we can use to make green chili all winter. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and I start planting corn and I'm blanching and freezing vegetables in bags. And, you know, we're getting all of the potatoes and carrots and uh, onions stored in um, you know, in sandy basins where they can be pulled out and used. Um, and so uh, a big part of it is going and doing that every year. And it's fun because we take a hayride around the farm and there's other people that are on the hayride with us. And, you know, you're out in a field getting dirty and cutting your fingers on corn silk and, um, you know, and the kids are all snacking on raw radishes and, and uncooked corn Um between fields and it's just it's a wonderful experience and it fills our freezer with food for the winter i seriously want to move to denver just for that (laughs) (laughs) it only took me three days to drive there earlier this fall i could just come you could (laughs) you could even have a place for you to stay Um, okay so most of it is being frozen or saved in in pails in the dirt and canning I can as well so I can I buy big cases of tomatoes and I can tomatoes for the winter Mm -hmm. I can peaches um so it's a it's a combination of um of things but we do have a big big chest freezer and so we try and get that filled up every fall so that we can draw from it all winter yeah and I think that makes a a very big difference that big chest freezer in the basement uh, for anyone who's thinking about doing this, <laughs> yeah, it's hard it, to it's figure out how to fit. Yeah, yes, it definitely is. Um, oh my God. So that's amazing. I love that. And then it sounds like then you also year round get some stuff just from your own yard. And so, wow, it's like a pretty, pretty complete system you got going. That's amazing. That's what, I mean, that's the idea behind urban homesteading is that you really have a decent amount of self-sufficiency. Um, and it's things like when we grow corn, um, 
we dry it and we mill our own cornmeal. Mm. And, you know, and it's so satisfying to eat cornbread from corn that you grew and milled yourself. Yep. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's, it's, uh, urban homesteading is about a whole DIY ethos. Um, and it's beyond just food. It's fixing things yourself and, you know, repairing what you have and learning how to work with what you have available. And, um, you know, it's a lot about just using your hands and your mind and your tools to do things for yourself beyond just food. So this is how I live, but I just have never called myself that. So I'm so excited to have a new title. You, you, <laughs> I, you are officially an <laughs> And my husband really is. So I'm going to tell him that when he gets home later. <laughs> There's like a whole world about what he does. Okay. So that's so cool. I loved, I am hoping that like that inspire that definitely inspires me actually, because I find that even like the, just having that on my radar to put in the calendar is super helpful. And here actually, there's, you know, definitely a whole slew of stuff in August. We're, we're done a little earlier, it sounds like, than you are, I think. So like in the New England, sort of like August is all the tomatoes and, um, you know, zucchini and all that kind of stuff. And really by sure. September, we're more into like pumpkins <laughs> and squash. And then, but then also here in May, like the end of May and June, that's like the early berries, like strawberries and stuff. So yeah, it's fun to really plan. Oh, you don't? You don't get strawberries? No, there's really no local food until um, the end of June Interesting. out here. Yeah, cool. It's funny. It's just a, like a skewed season. Yeah. Um, all right, so let's go into, so you, we introduced you as the leadership coach specializing in education, specializing in education leadership, but I know that you also have a, part of that is the Montessori part. So let's dive into what that means in life, like what we can learn from that and from you um, about Montessori and how what that looks like almost at home. I, I spend a lot of time talking about how to bring the Waldorf system home. So I'm excited to tap into what's what that means for Montessori. Sure. Um, so ultimately, you know, the Montessori philosophy and the goal of Dr. Montessori in developing this system was um, building future citizens for a more peaceful world. Hmm, that's, that's truly the ultimate goal. All the details, all the materials, all the whatnot, really ultimately the goal is that um, children are citizens of the world and we have the opportunity to prime them to be makers of peace. Yep. Um, and so... Uh, everything we do in a Montessori system is ultimately to develop peaceful citizens who really want to show up as citizens. And so in the household, um, that applies in a lot of different ways. Really a big thing in a Montessori household is the independence of the children and, um, giving them loving care, but never doing something for them they're capable of doing for themselves. Mm, so important. Um, it is. It's super important. And, um, and being mindful of, you know, that often when we serve our children, we're doing it to fill up our own personal holes and not necessarily because <laughs> it benefits the children, but it yeah. makes us feel very needed. Yeah. Um, and so that, that, that sort of awareness of, am I actually doing this, um, just out of 
loving kindness for my child or am I doing this because I desperately need to feel needed right now? Um, yeah. And, you know, making sure that we understand the difference so that we don't disempower our children with our own emotional neediness and, <laughs> and having that kind of mindful awareness. Yeah. Cause um, there, there comes a time that we would do anything for them to do, you know, do things for themselves. Right. Like it's just a matter of time. It, it is, it is. And so just, stoking that flame of wanting to do for themselves, um, in the most positive ways possible, um, which often translates into meals. Um, you know, a Montessori home is a home where the kids are helping make food and they're learning to use knives at one and a half, two years old. Um, you start introducing them to how to chop vegetables and, uh, giving them not too super sharp knives to work with. And, um, I mean, my daughter by five years old was working with a full size eight inch blade chopping knife in the yeah, kitchen. Yeah. We have um, the same thing here. That must be the, it must've been a European thing. At yeah, the time of probably. It. Yeah. It's interesting. I, I, I can see that the European food culture. Yeah. Um, and so that's great. And, you know, uh, I just was out of town for a week. I was in Europe. Um, for work. And my husband reported that our 10 year old daughter made him several meals. Um, that's awesome. And just spontaneously went in the kitchen and started cooking and, and produced food. Uh, there was this incredible lemon pound cake when I got home, that was just a lovely surprise to find on the counter. And it was just her independently directing herself in the kitchen, um, to make food. And, You know, and doing it not for my daughter gets an allowance, but it isn't tied to the chores she does Mm -hmm. um, because really it's about showing up as a citizen in our family. And the expectation is that her room stays picked up and the expectation is that she gets her laundry folded and put away where it belongs. And the expectation is that if I need her to walk the dog, she's going to walk the dog and she's going to collect eggs from the chicken coop and, um, you know. And all those things are so fun. Yeah. I mean, maybe not folding laundry, although I find it relaxing, but (laughs) I do too. (laughs) I know I, am actually, I have to be careful on that one because I'm on this bender where the kids are definitely to fold their own laundry and put it away. Sometimes I'm like, Oh, it's so nice to fold shirts. (laughs) They seem to go through more of them than I do. So, (laughs) um, all right. So, okay. So self-reliance. So in the kitchen, that looks like, um, cutting early and cooking. So what, what happens when we don't do that early? Like what, I feel like there's many people possibly listening, you know, who might be horrified at their child using a knife because they don't trust them or because they think that they're ADD and are going to go running off or whatever. So how, how do we, let's, let's just brainstorm together. How do, how do we do, have our kids do some of that if we haven't already built those systems into our family? Sure. Well, the first thing I'd say is, um, every child is different and nobody knows the child better than their parent. Yeah. And so, you know, if a parent has deep reservations about, their child's ability to be safe with a knife that that is probably based in observations they've made of their child and their impulse control or their motor control or whatever. So, um, do, do know that, uh, all parents, you got to do it the way that feels right and safe to you because we're all, you know, we're all just doing our best here with this. Parent. <laughs> totally. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my first, my first statement is no judgment of how much knifiness has been in your child's life or not. For exactly. Me. 
Um, but I, I think that if you can reasonably allow your child to try a thing, whatever that thing is, why not? Um, because really like, even if you like, you know, if you're feeling apprehension around giving your child, your five-year-old a chopping knife, like I did, um, you know, I gave her a chopping knife. I, I didn't feel apprehension about it, but if you feel apprehension about that idea, lean into it. So what would happen? You know, what if I gave her a chopping knife? What might happen? Well, she might cut herself and then what? Then yep. she'll bleed. And how bad could it be? Well, she might need stitches. And what else? Will she cut her finger off? Probably not. Yep. Will she die? <laughs> Most certainly not. Um, you know, will you lose custody of her? Probably not. You know, so lean into the fear and realize that probably the worst thing that will happen is a cut, cut that could possibly require some glue or stitches. Um, and that would be a bummer. But it's also kind of the deal with being a kid. There's going to be some stitches and casts and things like that involved. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, and it's interesting. And I feel like some of it is is just that notion of wanting to keep it easy. And I like us as parents sure. not wanting to clean up extra mess or just not wanting something to take longer because I feel like time is such a big deal as moms right like sure. we want to be on time we want to have more time to do other things and that kind of stuff and it's but it's interesting because I think it, it it is a process right I mean my kids span from 7 to 13 and I can say that you know there's definitely so many things the 13 year olds can do that the seven-year-old just hasn't had that practice yet but it's you don't know that when you have the seven-year-old you know and it's amazing to me what a 13 year old is capable of. <laughs> right. Right. Um, um, I, I think you're right about that. And that stress that parents feel, and that is one thing it being a Montessori teacher and an administrator in a Montessori school for many years, that was a thing we heard from parents is like, I get that I'm supposed to let him do it all himself, but I also have to be to work by nine. Yeah. And you know, or like, I also want to eat before nine or whatever it is, you know, yeah. it's like, yes, I want to include him. Yes. I want to give him space to do it in his way. And, and the reality is I don't always have time for that. Or like, I just don't have the patience at the end of the day yeah. to hold that space for him. I'm done with having patients by yeah. 7 p.m. Yeah. You know? And that's, re that's real. I mean, yes. that's, that's, that's very real. And so what I would say is um, a couple things. Make some choices about where you are going to make that space. So you can't necessarily make the space for them to do everything in their own way, at their own pace, and at their own time every single day, all the time. I get that. The world moves at a faster pace than toddlers do. Um, <laughs> that is it, true. <laughs> it just does. And that's one of the really hard things about having a toddler. And one of the beautiful blessings of having a toddler is they make you slow down. Yeah. Um, but it's not always realistic because the rest of the world doesn't have a toddler too. And they're not slowing down with their toddlers as well. So, um, that's real. And so pick the thing, you know, you're gonna, you're gonna help them get dressed for school, but you're going to give them lots of space to get dressed after bath time. Yeah. You know, you're gonna maybe weeknights, you deal with dinner, you get it on the table, you put them in front of their tablet and you just make dinner. And frankly, weeknights, my daughter gets to have screen time while I make dinner. So this isn't, I'm, I'm no judgment here. This is exactly what I do. 
Um, she goes in front of a screen and I deal with dinner, but on weekends we make food together. Yeah. So, so maybe Sunday dinner is the dinner where you stand there and you start Sunday dinner at 4.45 p.m. so that you can stand there and lovingly, slowly chop those potatoes with your little one and, you know, take all the time it needs and you decide that that's the time you're going to give. So I think for the parents who feel rushed or stressed out by the extra mess or things like that, decide a place where you're going to give that independence and keep it sacred um, and give yourself grace for the fact that you can't hold that space for everything all the time and you need things to be a little more efficient sometimes. Yeah, I love I love that. And it's that's one of the things we definitely touch on in meal planning in my group um, is that you can't meal plan without that holistic picture. So if you want your child to cook with you, you have to do that on a night where you're not running in the house at 630 because that's just going to like that's not going to work. You know, it has to be on the weekend or on a day where your kids get out of school early or, you know, a day you're not so busy um, or otherwise it's just stressful. And same with going to the grocery store. That's just that can be horrific <laughs> if yeah. it's rushed and there's a toddler and you don't have a list and, you know, it, it can be awful. Yeah. Um, and so to set ourselves up for success in those moments, I think, is super, super important. I have to say that my... Um, 13 year old now is going and going through cookbooks and finding these recipes that I think it's more like a science experiment mind or something. Cause it's, it's things I probably <laughs> wouldn't even try to make, you know, like pastries that like have to go together. And I don't know. I've just, it's funny. It's great. We're now working on the, um, the food seems to work, but then the mess on the other side uh, <laughs> is the thing working we're working on. on. <laughs> so I'm like, when I cook, <laughs> doesn't look like this at the end. <laughs> um, all right. So this has all been super inspirational and awesome. Where else should we go? I'm trying to think. I'm so excited about urban homesteading and farming, and I'm super excited about a self-reliant child. <laughs> um, well, let's talk about dinner a little bit. Do you have any thoughts about that and family dinner? So you said that you're cooking it every night with her, so I feel like that means that you sit down for it. Sure. Yeah. So I can, um, I can talk a little bit about how our, our family dinner works. Um, we sit down as a family, um, six to seven nights a week. Uh, occasionally one of us has a thing in the evening that mm -hmm. disrupts the whole family. But even if it's just, uh, two of the three of us, we will sit down together at the table. Um, and the way it works is that my husband works out of the house. And so he usually is who brings my daughter home from school mm -hmm. and, um, when they get home, she is expected to get her bedroom picked up and, um, to read for at least 40 minutes. And then once she's done those things, she's welcome to have some screen time until dinner is ready. And, um, during that time, my husband and I sit, we chat, catch up on our days, um, for a little while. And then we head to the kitchen and I start making food while he starts doing any dishes that are in the sink, um, putting away what's in the dishwasher, wiping down counters, making sure the kitchen just feels clean. Mm -hmm. um, so we don't necessarily do a big clean right after the meal. Um, mm. It's usually uh, like the next day, but that works for us. That's um, interesting. I like that. And uh, so I usually cook something from scratch. Um, with involving chopping fresh vegetables and, you know, it's usually some sort of meat, grain and vegetable combination. 
Um, but I do try and make sure we have at least a couple of vegetarian meals a week, mm-hmm. um, as well. And I plan, I do plan our meals. Usually I lay out, um, I usually map out five meals for mm-hmm. a, a week and then, you know, build in flexibility for leftovers and changing our minds or going out to dinner or whatever. Um, and I try and plan, you know, like if I roast a chicken, you know, we have a dinner that's roast chicken with vegetables usually. Um, and then I have some plan for how I'm going to use then the next night's going to be chicken enchiladas or something Mm -hmm. like that, where I take a whole chicken and, and plan a way to reuse it. Or I plan, I grill steaks, but I buy five steaks and we eat three steaks and then the other two steaks get sliced up and put in fajitas or, or something like that. I try to be mindful of how I'm going to make leftovers and what mm-hmm. those leftovers are going to turn into mm-hmm. next um, mm-hmm. so that we don't waste food. And yeah, we sit at the table, we use cloth napkins um, and I buy our plates at the restaurant supply store. Um, I think it's important to have a nice meal and the table is clean and there's usually always a bouquet of flowers on it. And we sit and have conversation about our days and what went well and what wasn't so good and, um, you know, and discuss the meal and, uh, yeah. And I try to be creative and try different things. I like cooking different stuff and, um, I love to find recipes and then not follow them. That's mostly (laughs) what I do. Mm -hmm. (laughs) My husband will look at the recipe I'm looking at and then, you know, watch the ingredients I'm putting in and (laughs) he's like, what? It's never the same, but I do get inspired. I get very inspired by recipes and then I make my own thing with totally different ingredients often. Um, but it's, uh, it's really fun. And it's a big part. Like I said, I think that ties into our family's sort of the ethos of our family and what we believe in and what matters to us. And so do Um, you feel like you ever make decisions or have to make decisions for your daughter? like as she's getting older, that stuff comes up that would interfere with that, that you say no to, or have you really built a life that that's so built in that those things don't come up? Um, I am a big believer in children benefiting way more from free time than from structured activities. Yeah. Um, and I will, I won't let her be in, she has horseback riding. That's every other Saturday Mm -hmm. morning for an hour and a half. And I won't really, at this point, um, commit to much more than that. Um, because it's disruptive to free time and it's disruptive to family time. And, Um, I'm not one of those parents who's trying to help my kid get ahead or get a leg up or is worried about her going to a quote unquote good college. I don't, I don't have those thoughts or feelings really ever. She's Mm -hmm. about as privileged as a human could come. And really it's going to be up to her to screw it up. Uh, so (laughs) I'm more, I'm really more concerned with her not being anxious and overly thinking things and the problems that privileged kids tend to have. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm way more focused on teaching her how to be mentally at ease and how to like being with herself and how to creatively use her own time. Um, I feel like because of how she's growing up and how privileged she is, that that's the more important thing. Yeah, well, and, and who, you know, nine-year-old soccer has never proven to get anyone into college. Um, and all the, all those skills you just talked about are the things that, you know, are getting people ahead in the world. Yeah. So yeah. we just, yeah, extracurricular activities are not important to us. Yep. Um, so they don't creep in. That's awesome. They don't. Yeah. Um, it's funny because that's how we are, except out of one of, of our three kids. <laughs> 
would do everything if she could. Sure, sure. Um, which is cool because we were homeschooling this year, so pretty much she just does everything, but, you know, it's balanced because she's not in school. Right. So she gets to experience a year of it. <laughs> um, but it's interesting. It's interesting how that works out and how the rest of, you know, it sometimes feels like the rest of the world around you is always booked up. Um, like I, I see my kids noticing that more and more as they get older. My daughter yeah. notices it too. Yeah. And how unavailable some of her friends are or the kids in horseback riding who are also in two or three other horseback riding clubs Yeah. and, you know, go horseback ride all the time and are highly specialized in that as their activity, but they're 10. Yeah. And I find that kind of crazy. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Right there with you. <laughs> um, all right. So I think we're, we're good. This was an amazing, like, I just feel like there's so many nuggets of wisdom in here, including that I am now officially an urban homesteader, um, <laughs> which is really my, the most exciting part of this for me. But anyway, <laughs> um, so I let, first of all, tell people how to get a hold of you and why they would. And then I have one final question that I ask everybody. All right, great. Um, so the best way to get a hold of me is to find me through my website, www.belineconsulting.net. So that's B-E-E-L-I-N-E consulting, all one word, dot net. Um, and the reason you would want to find me is if you are interested in being a mindful, conscientious, and visionary leader of an organization, and especially if you work in the field of education and you care about mindful conscientious visionary leadership in schools and why that matters for communities love it and i hope that like everybody joins in because that's what we need <laughs> that's what the world needs right now yeah um so i'm so excited that you do what you do so our final question is will you tell us about a meal that had a big impact on you so either the food the company or some big aha you had while at the table could be anything. Wow. I know it's um, a broad question. It could have been like a childhood memory or something that happened last week. I know we all have thousands of them, but there's, yeah, there's been so many meaningful meals. Um, but what comes to mind for me is uh, the summer of 2004. My husband and I, um, we weren't married at the time. Um, we were living in Italy and, um, we had, we made friends with some Italians and they were these young, like metalhead rocker guys that always wore black and, um, Biagio and Simone and Manuel. And they were just these wonderful guys and they barely spoke English and we barely spoke Italian, but we made this beautiful friendship and it really started, um, uh, we sort of knew each other and they invited us to come to their house for dinner and, it was this, you know, four hours of food coming out of the kitchen and everything was just delicious and made with love and the wine flowed freely and the conversation was just endless and entertaining and joyful. And it was a true European style meal like uh, us two Americans had never experienced. And it was extra beautiful because it was these 20 year old metalhead college dudes 
who made this meal for us and opened their, you know, their crummy apartment and put together a bunch of folding tables and borrowed tablecloths from their grandmothers to cover it and just hosted this incredible meal that showed me really, really opened my eyes to the possibility of what um, a shared meal really means. And especially in the context of being a world traveler and how you can connect with people um, from very, very different backgrounds when you break bread together. Oh my God. I love that. That's an amazing story. Um, awesome. So we just have to like, leave it at that. It's funny though, that you are definitely the third, maybe the fourth person who's had an Italian meal. That's <laughs> their like thing. So those Italians must be doing something right. They are. When it comes to eating, they are, they're doing a lot right. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Totally. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Um, I'm super excited to write um, the show notes around this with all the useful tips that everybody can get on. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you. It was really fun. All right. Bye, Busy Mamas. I will see you on the next episode of the Plan Simple Meals podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Plan Simple Meals podcast. If you like what you heard, the biggest compliments you can give us is to share Plan Simple Meals with a friend and subscribe, rate, and review our podcast at iTunes. I absolutely love sharing simple solutions to help busy families eat clean and live well. Visit HealthyMomsMeetup.com and come join in on the fun. In our free group, you can chat with me and other health-seeking moms, get new recipes and tips, and never be at a loss in the kitchen again. Come join the fun at HealthyMomsMeetup.com. I cannot wait to meet you there.